0: Welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. I am John Schmelk. The man to my left is Lance Meadow. And the phone number for you is 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter if you want to get in touch with us that way you can. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to win amazing Giants prizes. Lance, good afternoon. How are you? I am doing very well. How about yourself? Doing well as well. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. Good. Uh, by the way, just FYI, we'll have Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus in just a moment. We're going to have the play-by-play man for Kentucky football, Tom Leach at 1245. to Talk about Josh Allen and the other prospects coming out of Kentucky. Also, if you have time to read today, folks, there's FYI, two very good articles out there. Um, one by Robert Mays, another by Tyler Dunn about uh, the— strategy of the patriots to not give their edge rushers big money and whether or not it works and then there's a great article um from tyler on aaron Rodgers and mike mccarthy and how that whole thing kind of fell apart in green bay so if you're an nfl fan two pieces of required reading and what's always required reading is pro football focus and one of their lead analysts joins us right now our good buddy mike renner who i've actually talked to in a couple of years mike it's good to have you back on the show how's it going man going great. Thanks for having me back. No, absolutely. It's good to have you. Uh, Mike, you guys have been kind of releasing your mock drafts. You have your top 50 big board out there as well. I'm sure you catch all the heat for that because fans, when they don't see what they want, they get very upset. But let's talk about methodology for you guys first because you do grading on all these college players. You have all four years for the seniors of their college tape in your system and your grades, but I know it's not just the grades that influence how you put your big board together and position value has become a real big deal for you guys, right? Just talk about how you put your big board together and how you take all your different aspects from your grading to your analytics into consideration when you put together your big board.
1: Yeah, so positional value plays a big role uh, in our big board and it kind of just influences where we have guys. So Kyler Murray is number one on our big board. Uh, Basically, because we think he is uh, the best quarterback in this draft I think he is a franchise type quarterback, and so we don't think he's as safe as say a Nick Bosa or Quinn and Williams in terms of. I feel like very sure that those guys are going to be you know top ten to twenty players at their respective positions in the NFL. I'm not so sure about Murray being one of those, but I just think because it's basically where so the big board is. If we're drafting, we're just going to take the best player on that board, uh, no matter what. So running backs get pushed down. Uh, lesser value positions get pushed down and teams positions that can really affect the passing game are the ones that
2: get pushed up. So with that being said, Mike, then based on that logic, after the quarterback position, what would be then the next highest value position over what you've seen over the last few years? And if you're a general manager really trying to rebuild the depth chart of your team?
1: Yeah, so I think if I were to rank them, it would go quarterback one, cornerback two, uh, then from there, probably wide receiver, edge rusher, a tie-ish for three there. And then basically anyone that can cover on the back end, whether it's safeties or linebackers, anyone that can give some sort of coverage there, uh, probably number five. Then.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting, and I'm not surprised you have cornerback at number two, A, because I listen to a lot of your guys' stuff in your podcast. You do a great job with Steve Palazzolo and uh, Sam Monson on your Pro Football Focus podcast. But you have cornerbacks much higher on your board than I think a lot of other people do Uh, around the country. What do you think about this cornerback class in general, Mike? It seems to kind of be a lot of different guys that do different things well depending on your scheme, Uh, but it seems like you guys would prefer these corners go a little bit earlier than a lot of the quote-unquote experts seem to think they're going to go in this draft.
1: Yeah, I think uh, one of the biggest things is the two top ones on our board are very scheme-specific guys. Byron Murphy is a guy who, if you're a zone-heavy team like, say, the Bills, say, the Panthers, uh, even the Dallas Cowboys, Indianapolis Colts, someone like that, you're going to have Byron Murphy probably at the top of your cornerback board because he's so good in zone, so good in off coverage, so good at making plays there, not nearly as good in man coverage, whereas the number two cornerback on our board, Drew D. Williams, is one that if you play a lot of zone, you're not going to have anywhere near the first round on your board. He's a press man corner. That's where he excels at. And so uh, from that perspective, I can see why you'd be lower on those two because of the holes in their game. But I think... We're high on them because we're saying, you know, if I run one of those two schemes, Mm -hmm. I should be taking a guy like that. He'll be effective in something like, in a scheme like that.
2: Well, Mike, the defensive line is so deep in this draft, and I think that's reflected in your top 50 board. But how does the depth, do you think, at that position this year impact, perhaps, where some other positions are going to be reached for or perhaps drop specifically in the first round?
1: Yeah, I think it's a deep class, but I also think it's one that a lot of them are going to come off the board early. I don't think you're going to wait and say, oh, you know, it's so deep, I'll get one in the third round instead of the first. It's deep at the top, deep in terms of guys who any other year you'd have first-round grades on, and so uh, I do think that it will just mean that a lot of positions that maybe aren't as top-heavy but more have middling talents, positions like safety, positions like wide receiver, teams will be more adept to take round two, round three, because the difference between the guy you're selecting, you know, in the, say pick 15 overall is not going to be so different than a guy you could get at 45 overall, whereas the difference at D-line that you're getting at 15 overall might be a huge difference between that and 45.
0: Mike, if you're looking for a press man corner, which I think if James Betcher has the guys he wants, that's the scheme he wants to play, who are some of the guys on day two, round two, round three, that you think could succeed in a press man type system?
1: I like uh, Justin Lane out of Michigan State in a press uh, man system. I think he played. Uh, he has the length, the 6'2", I want to say, tested great athletically, played even some wide receiver. He's got ball skills like a wide receiver, played some of that at Michigan State. So I think he's going to be on the board somewhere in day two. Uh, I don't really know where the rest of the NFL is but uh, on guys, but I think Amar- Amani O'Rourke, if he's there on day two as well, mm. has uh, some of the best tips of any of the cornerbacks in this draft class. Another length guy, a guy with length who you can play in press coverage, uh, did the best in the one-on-ones of any cornerback in our tracking, uh, doing all the grading of the one-on-ones at the Senior Bowl. So I think there's a lot to like about both those guys, but both a little bit of a project at this point.
2: Well, Mike, in addition to corner, as John mentioned, you can certainly argue the Giants could use pass rushers given what they've lost Over the last few seasons and I'm looking at the mock draft that you and Steve did and clearly the Giants have two first round picks but when it came to sixth you chose Jawan Taylor the offensive lineman out of Florida I'm just curious what was the rationale in going right tackle I agree with you it's certainly a need as opposed to perhaps to your point earlier that there's still great quality defensive lineman perhaps that would be good value at the sixth overall selection. Well, I think
1: every young quarterback that we've seen come into the NFL in recent years and hit the ground running has had a good offensive line in front of them. No one's really come in with Josh Rosen's situation there in Arizona with a bad offensive line or, you know, like what we even saw from the Giants last year, a bad offensive line. No young quarterback has done that and had a very good rookie or sophomore campaign. The offensive line has been very impactful to the development of a lot of these young quarterbacks. And so I think that from that perspective, if you really don't, think that this is the year you want to address quarterback, you really don't believe in this quarterback class, well, get the offensive line to build uh, whoever you do think you know. and maybe it's 2020, 2021 when you do address the quarterback position, give him an offensive line so he can hit the ground running, so he can have the best possible situation to succeed in the NFL and develop. Uh, so that's my rationale. John Taylor, right tackle at Florida, could step in and play right tackle on day one for the Giants.
0: It seems like generally speaking though, Mike, and please correct me if you think I'm wrong, that after you get past Josh Allen, and after you get past Nick Bosa, you guys maybe aren't quite as bullish on the rest of the edge rusher class as maybe some of the other guys are out there because they don't have the type of consistent production you look for. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, so I think that next group, whether it's uh, you know Montez Sweat, Cleveland Ferrell, uh, Burns Brian Burns is yeah. our third guy. Yeah. Uh, we like Brian Burns, but uh, that group of guys just not nearly as, uh, not nearly as productive as both and Allen were this past year. Both and Allen, elite production in our grading system, uh, both his entire career. Allen wore this last year, but he completely remade his body. I mean, he gained 20 pounds of muscle uh, to play at Kentucky this past season and dominated. top the SEC like no one really has ever dominated the SEC. Even Miles Garrett didn't grade as well as Allen did this past season in the SEC. So, from that perspective, those two are a clear one, two. There's a bit of a drop-off, but I still think it's a talented class, but I think those are, if you're going to get an edge defender, you want one of those too.
2: Well, and related to that, Mike, I remember two, three years ago when there was a rush on pass rushers, that class was labeled as a bunch of tweeners. When you evaluate this group and some of the names you just mentioned, I mean, how many do you feel are versatile enough that fit into either a 4-3 or a 3-4 or a really scheme-specific? when you look at this class overall, specifically in terms of the pass rushers?
1: I think there are a lot of scheme-specific guys, to be honest. I think if you're going, any one guy that could really bridge the gap among the top guys is probably Josh Allen, in terms of 4-3 or 3-4. Uh, both that I would just say is probably 4-3 only. Same with Montez Sweat, same with Cleveland Farrell, and then Brian Burns, probably 3-4 only. You don't want him really playing with his hands in the dirt much, I would guess. So he's hand up, 3-4 kind of guy. Obviously, the lines get blurred to some degree, but I think for the top of that class, there are a lot of guys who aren't necessarily uh, you know, versatile pieces.
0: I'm on board with you, Mike. I know people at PFF are very – I'll use the word frightened. I know you guys don't use that word because it, it's way too emotional. But I, I'd be very frightened to choose Rashawn Gary in the top 10 or even top 15 in this draft because of his lack of production – um, just talk about what you guys have seen from him. I know you have Ed Oliver High. His production's not great either, but you do have him ranked on your big board much higher than Rashawn Gary. Can you just talk about those two prospects who so I think a lot of people put into the same boat? But I'm with you guys. I think Oliver has a much brighter future.
1: Yeah, so Gary, just there's two big things with him. One is he has a lot of reps that are very low effort. I mean, it stands out on tape, him playing across from Chase Winovich. He just has a lot of... Just really, you know, loafing reps on tape, which uh, that you just don't love to see. That as a defense coordinator, you want the high effort, high motor guys are far, far more. You know, that's just what you're going to want more in your defense. And two, he just doesn't have a lot of pass rush moves. Basically, he doesn't have a pass rush move besides the bull rush <laughs> at this point, which he's gotten. You know, if you look at him compared to the Michigan guys in recent years, they get the best line coaching. You know, in college football, there they produced a ton of defensive line talent that's been drafted early. There's no real excuse for him to be so uh, inept at this point uh, in terms of pass rushing skill sets. So from that perspective, that those are two big red flags in my mind that play against him. Uh, so, yeah, I just I don't want to be the team that really – it has to take him. He's a bit too much of a project for me. I would rather play him on the interior than on the
0: edge at this point. Yeah, so what I like him with the three technique too, and then I want to kind of bring it back to Ed Oliver. Do you think his production's a lot better if they're playing him at the three in Houston instead of putting him in nose?
1: yeah so i think both are raw prospects but oliver has this excuse of he was playing at houston and was not uh you know was not (laughs) given the best coaching in college football basically the same that the same player that he was in the freshman year in terms of technique and how he you know his stance and everything that everyone's already saying you know you fix his stance day one that's day one type stuff that just never got fixed uh there at houston because they didn't have the coaching so I think that Oliver is a little more versatile too. I think he's play three technique. I think he can hold up on the nose like he did at Houston. I don't think I'd be playing him at edge. I don't think I'd be coveting him there. But I don't think I'd be coveting Gary at edge too. But I do think Oliver in terms of three technique, playing over the nose, I think he can do that. If you're if that's the defense if that's what you want to ask him to do, I think he's capable of that.
2: Talking with Mike Renner, senior analyst for Pro Football Focus, seventeenth pick in that mock draft, staying on the defensive line topic. Jeffrey Simmons you elected to go with that at Mississippi State we know he's coming off the torn ACL Mike based on your description here you don't seem overly concerned about that but is there something to be worried about given the fact that he's coming off of such a major injury whether or not that production is going to be able to pick up immediately specifically in his rookie year
1: yeah I mean that's obviously a concern and that's why he doesn't go top 10 in our draft because on tape he's a top 10 player I mean talent-wise he has as much uh, as anyone outside of Quinton Williams in this draft class on the interior, a freakishly strong player. I uh, He dominated SEC competition each of the last two seasons. So he's done it at the highest level, had, checks off all the athleticism boxes. The only reason he dropped that far is because of the ACL injury, and we've seen a ton of guys recover from ACLs uh, to the point where I'm not going to hold that against them too much. I, I think on the field there are very few question marks about him, and the Giants are a team who – you're not playing for the 20, you know, 19 season at this point. You're playing for 2020. So if you can get a top 10 player, 17th overall, I mean, you jump at that chance in terms of the developmental curve. he will be, you know, if he's a top 10 player, if he's worthy of a top 10 selection, you think in 2020 he'll be a top 10 selection. Right? You know, it's like adding another one. So I do think that. They're one of the few teams that would be willing to take him highly and should give him serious consideration.
0: You mentioned, and we're joined by Mike Renner, senior analyst for Pro Football Focus. You mentioned that you have Kyler Murray as your top player um, on your big board. You have Dwayne Haskins at ten. And now I've heard you make this argument on your serious show, Mike, and I think it's a compelling one because a lot of Giant fans are very excited about the potential of maybe trading for Josh Rosen using a second-round pick or maybe even the 17th overall pick, and you get something back along with Rosen to trade for him. But you actually would feel better about drafting a Haskins, even if you have to use a higher pick on him, than maybe trading for Rosen based on his performance last year. Can you just give that argument to Giant fans out there who I know are kind of weighing those two options in the draft this season?
1: Yeah, so a lot of people want to basically throw out Josh Rosen's rookie season. And I, don't, I just think that's as bad as the situation was. I, I think knowing about how badly he played. He played about as badly as you, know, you can as a rookie. One of our lowest grade quarterbacks. Uh, below 60 grade in our system just no real redeeming and no even like highly graded games really no flashing of redeeming qualities there at that point i, I just don't think that the bar you should set the bar higher you should set your sights higher because a lot of the real franchise quarterbacks that we see in the nfl the andrew lux of the world russell Wilsons, aaron Rodgers, when they hit the ground you know when they started playing in the nfl the first time they were better than that you know even just No matter the situation, they've always graded at least better than that. So I think you just should set your sights a little higher than maybe he turns into a Derek Carr. Well, if he turns into a Derek Carr, that's still not great. That's still not guaranteeing you any sort of long-term success. So I think I would just want to set my sights higher. The fact that Dwayne Haskins hasn't proved at an NFL level yet that he can't overcome bad talent is, to me, worthy of taking more of a chance on
2: well, I think you bring up an interesting point, Mike, but you know, you can't overlook certainly the fact that in Arizona there was an offensive line headache all season long. He also worked with two different offensive coordinators, and it's still only a small sample size with 14 games. You had studied him, though, coming out of college. What concerns you maybe that could limit his upside despite some of the factors that he had to contend with in Arizona?
1: I guess that's also one of the biggest parts of my argument is that I wasn't, you know, I didn't see him as – I saw him as the, you know, the fourth-best quarterback a season ago, which uh, a bunch of other teams did in the NFL. You know, the, the Giants themselves passed on him last year when they could have had a franchise quarterback. You know, if they thought he was a franchise quarterback, they would have taken him. Broncos passed on him, and then three teams that actually drafted quarterbacks in the top ten passed on him. So, from that perspective, I don't think the NFL was super high on him. Grade-wise, he came from a UCLA system that was a pro-style system under Jim Mora and did not even grade – that terribly highly for us, a lot of inconsistency down the field, uh, and at pretty much all levels in terms of accuracy. So all those factored in, I just can see why the rest of the NFL is not willing to part ways with a first-rounder to see if he can be their franchise
0: guy. So Mike, if the Giants don't use six on the quarterback, they wait till 17, or maybe even wait to the top of the second round. You're looking at Maybe Drew Locke if he's still on the board. You're looking at Will Greer. I know you guys are actually pretty high on. Daniel Jones has been thrown into that mix too. Are you getting value if you're selecting one of those players at 17 or even top of the second round? Or are you limiting your upside to the point – where, you know, you threw out Derek Carr, I'll throw out Andy Dalton, or or, or are you just going to draft a quarterback that's going to make you good, but they're never going to make you great? Is that worth using one of those, you know, day one or early day two picks on a quarterback where maybe you're not sure how good they can actually get?
1: Yeah, to me, if you're willing to use the 17th overall pick on a quarterback, you probably should be willing to use the 6th overall pick on a quarterback. You should should like a guy that much. If you're willing to draft him 17th overall, that you'd also draft him 6th overall. Now get into the middle of the second round or later in the second round, then you can have the conversation of, Oh yeah, he's obviously flawed. We want to work some. There are higher you know, there are better players you can get in the first round. That's when I can that's when I'd look at a Will Greer or a Daniel Jones if they're still on the board. But if you don't want to pick one of those guys at six, I'd be hard pressed to say, Oh, now at seventeen this makes sense.
0: Of the of that second group is Drew Locke the guy that you think has the potential if he can somehow, you know, take those Jay Cutler tendencies on the field <laughs> out of his repertoire a little bit, where he could be a guy that could elevate his level of play into the Haskins-Murray category? Yeah, so
1: there's reasons to like Drew Locke, but, I mean, like you mentioned, there is this Jay Cutler-esque feel to his game, uh, mistakes and pocket presence that just worry you. Uh, but he has improved every single year. That's one big knock and one big check mark in his uh On his side is the fact that every single year in our grading system he's improved gotten better gotten you know taking care of the ball better every single year so guys do progress you know if going back we haven't seen it a lot in recent years in terms of uh teams being willing to give guys uh you know longer leashes uh and guys developing but guys have in years past you know started their career slowly and then developed into a lot better players later on so from that perspective, we still really don't know. So it is still worth taking a shot on a guy like Drew Locke with his arm and with his accuracy uh, in you know, giving him that shot. Not necessarily making him your franchise guy right off the bat, but just right. giving him a shot to develop.
2: Well, Mike, as John mentioned, you have Will Greer, the 24th overall player on your top 50 big board. And I think not that the hype machine means much of anything, but Greer to me is that under-the-radar quarterback, didn't re- receive much excitement compared to some of these other quarterbacks that we've talked about what is the upside with respect to Will Greer and connected to that how much in your opinion is there a drop-off considering Greer is so highly rated on your big board between a Dwayne Haskins and a Will Greer
1: I think Greer just has the accuracy of an NFL quarterback I'm not sure he has the downfield the downfield accuracy but he has the Underneath and intermediate accuracy is as good as pretty much anyone in this class downfield. He struggled a little bit more, decision making struggled a little bit more, can't make really struggle to also make plays outside the pocket or even when he was moved off a spot inside the pocket to navigate that and then c- continue to throw the ball downfield at a high level. But the under, underneath accuracy is difficult to teach ball placement in that range is just something that we've seen as being pretty consistent year on year guys pretty much are who they are in terms of it. And he has, so from that perspective, accuracy is a good tool to work with ball placement, a good tool to work with for an NFL quarterback. A lot of stuff needs to be cleaned up. I mean, he's coming from West Virginia offense that's not necessarily projectable well to the NFL. So from that perspective, I do think there's a lot to work with, but he is. And like I talked about with Drew Locke, they're projects. They're not guys that you want to step in right away. Yeah. But like I said, guys can develop at the NFL level.
0: Uh, Mike, when you guys do your college grading, and I like to talk about bust rate right here, what positions are higher risk? For you guys and your grading system, which positions translate best from your college grading to pro grading? And which positions where, depending on the prospect, maybe, boy, I don't know how well this group's going to translate based on how they performed on the field in college. Where do you see the most consistency and where do you see the most inconsistency from your college to pro grading?
1: I think we see the most consistency at uh, defenses, so just basically pass protection and rushing the passer. Mm-hmm. Basically, okay. because it's the most one versus one. It basically, it's the most one v one. Uh, interaction you get in the whole entire sport. It is one guy versus another guy, and can you beat them on a consistent... And you get a ton of snaps over the course of the season. You'll get 400 you know, of those interactions over the course of the season, so it's a big sample size and a very limited uh, scope in terms of uh, the interaction that you're getting. So we've seen that really translate well. College production at wide receiver has not is not something that translates exceptionally well to the NFL. <laughs> Basically, guys who get to rack up a ton of yards not necessarily going to be your best receivers at the NFL level. It's a lot more based on athleticism and racking up yards and production in college is a lot more based on schemes and that sort of thing that you're in. So with a wide receiver is difficult to project. I mean we've seen it in recent years with how teams have drafted at that position. So uh, I
0: don't think we're the only ones. No, absolutely
2: not. Well, and related to that, and I think, Mike, you alluded to this, what I tend to be seeing more often is maybe 10 years ago, the college game was so far removed from the NFL game, but now you see Cliff Kingsbury coming into the NFL. There are a number of coaches that are adopting collegiate s type of schemes. Does that help, perhaps, that disparity? Is it closing as a result, in your mind, of a number of NFL teams adopting college-like schemes? Okay. I still
1: think it is difficult, uh, especially at wide receiver to project. Uh, but I do think it's helping. I think you, uh, to some degree, and I think it's actually helping more at quarterback. Is the sort of concepts that they're running aren't these uh, are aren't are as dissimilar as they used to be? I think that's the biggest position where we're seeing uh, coaches willing to adopt because it's. It's a lot on your plate when you're going from you know two different, completely different playbooks, completely different verbiage, and you have to master it, you know, immediately to play the quarterback position at a high level. When that's not so different, all of a sudden, I think then that's where we're seeing the biggest change.
0: Mike, final question before we say goodbye. And again, thanks a lot for the time. You guys like to destroy narratives that are out there, and we already talked about Rashawn Gary a little bit. Give me a, two, three, four, however many you want to give that gets on your nerves when you're listening to people talk about these draft prospects. Boy, that is just not true. Whether a guy's overrated, underrated, give me a few guys where, you know, some of the common narratives around these prospects just drives you batty.
1: I think there's two that I'll point to. and One is the insistence of teams wanting to move someone to off the guard, offensive tackle, to offensive guard. Specifically in this class, Jonah Williams. Uh, I think it's a big reason why teams are stuck with a bunch of terrible tackles in the NFL levels, because they're so quick to move, you know, very good guards like Zach Martin and Marshall, or very good college tackles like Zach Martin, Marshall Yonda to guard. And then, yeah, they're good guards, but I think they could also be good tackles and tackles a far more valuable position. So when people say, Oh, you know, Jonah Williams is a guard for us. I just think that that's absurd to limit a guy to that when, we see tackles, you know, mediocre tackles. You guys know Nate Solder getting yep. paid more than the best guard in the NFL just because of the positional value. So that to me is the biggest one. And then the then just teams mocking running backs in the first round. Well, you obviously another <laughs> another one that you guys know, but yeah, we don't do think yep. the the difference between first round running backs and a lot of third round running backs is it's just that it's the least the least skill difference of any position. And from that perspective, yes, you can get a very good one in the first round but you should be willing to say, we can't get a very good edge rusher in the first round. Give me this edge rusher or in the third round. Give me this edge rusher in the first. I know I trust myself to be able to get that running back in the third. By the That's way, Mike, the that really hit me.
0: Absolutely. I, I have your draft guide printed out on my desk. Tell the folks how they get it, what's in there, and why you think it's a worthwhile investment for football fans out there.
1: Yeah, if you go to join.profootballfocus.com, all you need is the Edge monthly subscription. nine ninety nine, to get our draft guide. You get it with any of our subscriptions, though. Uh, Go check it out. Profiles on over 500 people. Going to have an updated full 250 big board coming, I believe, next week with our top 250 prospects in this draft. just stuff you can't get anywhere else.
0: Mike, it's a pleasure. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for the information. We enjoy your work. Check them out, Pro Football Focus. They have their show on Sirius and then their podcast as well. Mike, we'll talk to you down the road, all right? Thanks, pal. Thanks, Mike.
2: Yeah, for sure. Thanks
0: for having me. You're very welcome. That's Mike Renner. Does a great job for Pro Football Focus, giving their unique perspective on some of the folks in the NFL draft class. Lance, takeaways.
2: Well, I mean, clearly he's high on a number of the defensive linemen and says that, listen, if you have an opportunity to take him, you should go with them early. I think it's interesting his point about if you're high on a quarterback, you should take him at six if you feel you can wait for them at 17. So I thought that was uh, an interesting comment as well. Well, but I think
0: if he thinks, if you believe this guy's your franchise quarterback, the position's so valuable, make sure you get him at six,
2: right? Yeah, this way you don't risk or roll the dice that the player's not going to be there. But I I think that you could argue that could hold true for just about any other year. But I do think that if the Giants perhaps don't take the household name quarterback in the eyes of the fans, that may not sit very well. Oh, no,
0: it would not at all. No,
2: it would not. You certainly need to at least take that into consideration (laughs) from a conversation standpoint. I don't think the Giants are overly concerned about it, but I know how the fans would respond.
0: Absolutely. Um, And I thought the other interesting part is how they think it's easy to project offensive and defensive line play as opposed to other positions. And I, do you know why I think that's true? I think in a lot of ways, especially when it comes to pass protection, and you can make the argument guys that don't go into three point stance in college, you know, with the run blocking and stuff like that on offense, that's a problem. But trying to block a guy to get to your quarterback is kind of non scheme specific. Yeah. Being a defensive end trying to sack a quarterback doesn't really matter what your scheme is. I mean, you're just trying to beat the guy in front the of you, technique. right? It makes
2: sense. Yeah, I mean, technique is a big part of that, no matter what level you're at, so I think that you see a player who holds up very well on the college level, you expect that that hopefully would translate with tweaking from coaching and so forth, so I'm not necessarily surprised to hear about that, and I thought he brought up a good point about, you know, we always project tackles, move inside, and so forth, and... You know they believe some of these tackles who could go early in the draft. I mean, there's a number of them. If, if people want to go to the website to see them in the top 50, and the main, just leave them at tackle.
0: Yeah, and the main two guys are Jonah Williams, who some people are projecting the guard, and Cody yep. Ford's the other guy, who's that some people project a guard. And I'm with Mike. You let these guys try to be tackles first. If they fail, and your backup plan, I'll put them inside. They'll be an all-pro guard. Great,
2: awesome, that's fine. But let them fail at tackle first. Yeah, I mean, if they played that position on the college level, doesn't it make sense? to experiment a little with them initially. Now, the other thing to take into consideration is some teams, when they draft a tackle, they have more of a hole also at guard. And by necessity, they want to move the player over. But if you're of the luxury where you have a guard... You could develop a young tackle, then I'd rather see the player grow at the tackle position. And you know what? After two or three years, it doesn't work out? Then move on.
0: Yeah. We want to remind you that Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Coors Light. Download the Coors Light Rewards app to an amazing Giants prize. As we get to the phones, we'll be taking calls for the next 15 to 20 minutes or so when we're joined by Tom Leach, who does Kentucky football play-by-play at around 1245. Let's go to Ralph and Asbury Park. He's up first. Hey, Ralphie.
1: Hey, what's going on, John and Len?
0: We're doing great. What's up, Ralph?
1: Not much. Yeah, I just had a couple of draft picks I wanted to bring up. Sure. Um, I didn't know how you guys felt at number six if we took Rashawn Gary. I want to know about that. How you guys feel about that? And my other draft picks at 17, if we would take Naquil Harry or from Arizona State or Akeem Butler for Iowa State. i so let me right. you know what you guys think about that.
0: No, uh, good questions. And, Ralph, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh, I would not select Rashawn Gary at six. Now, I think he checks all the boxes you want. If you look at his numbers at the combine, his body type, his size, his speed, his athleticism, you know, you look at him during weigh-ins and you're like, oh boy, look at this guy. This guy is going to be great. He's fantastic. Then he had three sacks.
2: (laughs) It's a problem. Well, especially it relates to the conversation we were just having in terms of offensive linemen, defensive linemen. Does it translate? I think you'd want to see a little bit more production. Plus, he is going up against high-caliber talent in the Big Ten. It's not as if he's in Conference USA or something. So, you know, if he can't get home in the Big Ten, does that mean that he's going to get home in the NFC East? I mean, what is the upside there? I think you have to certainly take that into consideration. But remember— And and Mike brought up, too. He takes snaps off, which— which yeah. you don't like. Of course. Now, could a scheme bring out the best in a player? Maybe. 100%. I mean, that certainly can happen, but you're banking on the defensive coordinator, the coaching staff, tapping into what a Michigan coaching staff couldn't do over the span of a few years. That, to me, is a little bit of a rolling of the dice. And then his pick at 17, uh, Nikhil Harry, I would not take him at
0: 17. I like Akeem Butler better as a player. I also like DJ Metcalf better as a player. I haven't gotten through all the receivers yet, Ralph, to be honest with you. Um, I have watched those guys um, and I've watched Brown from Old Miss as well and I would select him ahead of Nikhil Harry as well. Now, I know Harry's more that bigger, win-contested, catches-down-the-field type guy and that's what the Giants want because they have a bunch of six-foot guys that can run routes and do stuff like that so you want a different type of player. But I I would not pick Harry would not be the guy I would pick at 17 if you're looking for that bigger wide receiver. That's not where I would go. He does not get separation. To me, Lance, when you look at the NFL, winning at the catch point is important. But the bottom line, I want my receiver to be able to get open and, and separation. And, and you go back to Kelvin Benjamin. He's a guy when he came out of it. He said, oh, he's big. He's strong. He makes contested catches. You know, same thing with Laquan Treadwell. Right? Oh, big. he make these catches.
2: Dude doesn't get open enough. Yeah, Get open. And if you don't get open consistently, I'm not picking you in the first round. Well, you know why? I think when the conversation comes up about tall wide receivers, everybody thinks red zone, red zone, red zone. You got to get to the red zone first, John. In order to get (laughs) to the red zone, right? Guys have to make plays in the middle Mm -hmm. of the field. How do they make plays in the middle of the field? They get separation. It can't just be jump ball, every single time that the quarterback throws it. So, yeah, separation is important as opposed to just the size. Now, you know, I want to go back to a conversation. We were asked a lot before the Giants signed Golden Tate. And the initial reaction was Tate and Shepard are similar. And I'm not going to shy away from that comment. And
0: they still are similar,
2: by the way. Mm Correct, But I also think that the Giants feel they can move those wide receivers around. They can get guys inside and outside. Both can do both. Correct. So they can take advantage of their versatility and the other part of the mindset is separation. If these guys Correct. have a track record of getting open, who cares if they're similar size? The bottom right. line is we want guys that are going to make plays for the quarterback. Not you got a six four guy, you got a five ten guy, and you got a six foot guy. So we've got players. From all different walks of life, and then if two of the three can't get open, what difference yeah, does it mean cares? if you have versatility in the receiving right.
0: court? No, 100% right. I'm with you. And the other thing, too, that I didn't realize when we had that conversation, I actually brought this up on, on our show earlier in the week when I was on with, with Fegels, and there was a caller called up and asked about it. He goes, it was funny. Like, I was listening to your guys' show about it when they announced the trade, and I said, you know, I went back, and when I did the work, Tate actually played outside more than he played inside for a year or two in Detroit. When he yeah. was in Seattle, he played outside more than inside. So he's more than just a slot guy. And they look at Shepard at a lot more than just a slot guy, too. So they're going to use both guys in both spots.
2: No, and you're right. This past season, he was more in the slot. But you're right. Previous mm-hmm. seasons, yep. yes, he had been moved around. And once again, he's a guy that continually gets separation, gets open, and makes dynamic plays. So Pat Shermer, if you look at his offense— you know, he believes that they can take advantage of the versatility. And, I mean, even when Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs were in Minnesota, you know, you could say, yes, they were different style wide receivers, but they moved those guys around with Kyle Rudolph, with the running backs. Yeah, so, sure. I, I think the mindset's going to be very similar here with the Giants.
0: Yeah, and Diggs and Thielen are both very similar
2: when, yeah. when it comes to being, you we're, know, We're not talking, you know, one guy's stuff. seven right. feet tall and the other guy is tiny. Very similar in terms of
0: size. Scott in the Bronx. So, join us next. What's up, Scott?
3: Hey, good afternoon, gentlemen. Hope you hope your day's going well. Oh, well, great. What's um, up? i got a couple comments and a question, if I can get it in yeah, quick. Yeah, go ahead. First, my comments on, on is Dave Gilman's GM. Um, I think he's the no-nonsense GM the Giants were looking to bring back into the mix to build a team on the physicality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think giving him a rating, I would give him an A- on his last year's draft, but I would give him a D-plus on the free agent market. It seemed, I felt, he overspent on that. And the quality really wasn't there in some plays. and didn't really pan
0: out. Well, well, well I'll, I'll, and, I'll, I'll say one thing about that real quick, Scott. We all knew that they paid Nate Solder a ton of money. But if they didn't pay Nate Solder a ton of money... The left tackle spot would have been an albatross again last year. So at least in terms of Solder, and if you want to criticize the other guys who they let go midseason, I get it. That's fine. I'm, you know, it's hard for us to argue
2: that's what I'm with with, with the other guys.
0: But I think Solder, you had to just because of the hole you were in on the offensive line.
2: Well, and now look how Trent Brown, by the way has now topped that soldiers deal. (laughs) So you know, you have to take that into consideration, Scott. The market just continues to increase. So if you push it back another year, you're then eventually gonna have to spend money and then Uh. you would have been calling up saying Trent Brown's not worth that money just because he had one really good season with New England.
3: I buy that and I'm agreeing with both gentlemen on that. I'm totally agreeing. I'm talking about the other purchases, I'll put it that way. No,
0: that's fair. That's fair.
3: That's there. The other thing I'm looking at is now moving forward into uh, the draft and some potential free agents. I just want to throw a couple scenarios out there. Yeah. The Giant defense is, is traditionally their championship teams are built on tenacious defenses, a uh, tough co- uh, quarterback, and a people coach. I think part of it's in play. The defense needs a major overhaul, and this is the year draft to do it. I think the, pick, the first two draft picks should be in solely on defense, the second round, I'm asking a question. The second-round pick, if Josh Rosen is available in a trade and they accept that, would you go with that trade for the quarterback? And the offensive line, which still needs some work, I believe, and even some uh, I call lunch pail lower levels of defensive players. The gentleman, I forget his name, from uh, Boston College, a defensive end. With Zach Bargato Allen. Recently.
0: Yeah. yeah, Zach Allen.
3: Uh, yes, yes. I think players like that coming into the mix, should it materialize, would really, I think, turn the team around relatively quicker than people anticipate. And the last item I want to share about is I think Eli Manning is a class act. I just think he gets badgered on everything about falling, you know, almost like a Tom Brady falling off the cliff. He's past his time, everything else. People don't realize that offensive line is key. And the tight ends are key with the blocking and keeping that scheme going. So, again, I said a lot. I'd like to get your comment and your opinion.
0: Yeah, okay. Um, let me see if I touch everything real quick. Um, we talked about Eli a million times. We won't comment on that. In terms of Zach Allen, if you want him, you're going to have to use your second-round pick on him. I don't think he's going to be sitting there for your pick at the end of the third round.
2: Yeah, I'd be stunned if he falls. Right. I, I mean, he's even in the top 50 for pro Correct. football focus. So. That would be an unbelievable value selection and if he gets to the third round. He
0: is too good of a football player to to drop
2: that far. Um, well, what else did well, he mention? Defense, he said, to go both picks in the first round. Okay. Which I understand that logic, and I don't disagree. But, you know, you can't just go with the mindset, right. we can only go defense in the first round. If a great player on offense falls to you at 17 and you went defense at 6, can't blame the team for going offense at 17. And I'll tell you,
0: 17's a spot in the middle of that first round where you could catch one of the guys that are dropping, all right? Whether, remember a couple years ago, I think the Redskins were picking around 14th or 15th, and Jonathan Allen just fell into their laps, and they got him. Uh, Derwin James. Derwin James is another
2: good one last 13th year. 13th or 15th I think it was overall. a little bit later than that, maybe.
0: I'll have to check that. But Derwin James is the guy that dropped, and he fell right into the Chargers' laps, and he turned out to be – one of the two or three best rookie defensive players, while well, he was seventeenth. Yeah. So there you go. So I think it's seventeen, you sit there and yeah, you have an idea. I think it could be a sweet spot for an offensive tackle too. What happens if Jonah Williams or Cody Ford are sitting there and you want to plug him in a right tackle? Big bang, boom. Go right ahead. I'm down with that. Yeah, but you know, I, I think you know, yeah. Go ahead, Scott. I'm sorry.
3: I'm sorry, and I am I, I hearing what you're saying, and I understand. And I'm, I'm just a fan talking this way. I'm the of the course board there. Yeah, what I'm looking at the I'm looking at the fact here is that. Um, and here's a perfect example. The Giants, a traditional off- offensive line, they work as a team. David Deal, I think, was a fifth-round draft pick. Yep. If I'm not yep. Mm-hmm. And he turned out to be a major asset in their championship years.
0: Yeah, but you know uh, what, I, Scott? The only thing, it was a lot easier to find offensive linemen back in 2004 than in 2019. They, they, they just don't develop the way they used to in college. You don't have the time with your limited work in the yeah. offseason to develop them in the pros. That's why offensive line is becoming a tackle specifically are a premium position in these drafts. It's very hard to get good players late. It just doesn't work.
3: Okay, and the last piece, the quarterback. Would you trade for Josh Rosen if it was
0: there? I think, and thanks a lot for the call. We appreciate it. I think Lance and I both like the value for a second-round
2: pick based on where he was supposed to go last year. Is that fair? Yeah, I would agree. I think a second-round pick, if that's all you have to give up for Josh Rosen, a conversation that I would certainly have.
0: How about this? What if you have to give up 17, but you're getting the Cardinals' third-round pick, which would be the first pick in the third round back?
2: So you have to give up now your first and your second. You're talking about no, no, you no. Get a third back. I'm sorry, I misunderstood. You. All you're doing is giving up seventeen. So now it's seventeen. So the second round pick stays.
0: Yes. All you're doing is giving up seventeen, but you're getting that pick at the top of the third round
2: back, which would be pick. Sixty-five. I, I don't know if I'd be so excited to do that. Second-round pick, I'd be much more open in doing that. But you're
0: getting the three back.
2: I know, but I I think the Giants, in my opinion, could do a lot more damage with six and seventeen having them this year and getting players that are going to play immediately. Because even if you get Rosen, That's remember fair. Rosen is unlikely going to jump past Eli Manning this season. So you know they need to focus on to the caller's point, and I agree with Scott's mindset. Defense is still a big priority and a big void on this team. Let's not dismiss that. Everybody is focused and enamored with the quarterback, and I get that, and I understand it's an important position. But this defense was near the bottom of the rankings across the board over the last few years with the exception of 16. And they don't have Vernon. They don't have JPP. They have a lot of unproven pass rushers. They need to add depth in that department.
0: All right, what if they tell you, okay, fine, we'll take two, but you have to give us your worst pick in the fourth round, which is the one you got from the Saints, 132nd overall. I would consider that. I'd be more open to that okay. than parting ways with 17. All right, yeah. let's go to our one more caller before we get our guest. And again, we thank everybody for being with us today. Jimmy's up in Rose Hill. Another call from the Bronx. We like it. What's up, Jimmy?
4: <laughs> How are you guys?
2: Doing, Doing well. All right. Hey working, uh, uh, I enjoyed
4: <laughs> the interview with the guy from, from PFF and... Uh, also interesting what he had to say about about Rosen. I've been going all over the board on this, thinking that that's what we should do. And then you listen to this guy and you say, man, maybe it's not what we should do. <laughs> uh, and I go back to where I was, like from the very beginning of this whole thing. And I agree with you, Lance and 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 John. Uh, when you look at this team, we you know we've got to get we've got to get players on the other side of the ball. I mean, if we if you don't stop people, you just you know you're just never going to win. And in this league. The very same reason people want quarterbacks is and and point to the success of these quarterbacks is why you need guys that can get after these quarterbacks. Jimmy, you're so right. You're right. I'm going I would say I would say edge, uh and and if the first two picks of are for defense, I'm totally happy. I'll be I can live with that. Jimmy, you're right. But, John, but Remember the you, most let the, me ask you a question. I tweeted this to you and it's I'm sure you get a lot of tweets. Yeah. Um I'm just I'm looking at this draft in the context of I'm sure you can't draft without also taking into consideration your current roster and what guys are coming back, what do you expect from them, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mackin- this kid Macintosh was out all of last year. Well, not all of mm-hmm. last yeah. year, but obviously got a very, very late start, and it's probably tough to evaluate evaluate his season, but he did see some playing time. There is some tape on this kid. Sure. Is anybody talking about him and where would he fit? Where, where does he fit in the in the Betcher scheme? And I'll, I'll let you guys answer. I thanks.
0: appreciate it, Jimmy. Thank you. Uh, I think he's a three technique, which is the position you have B.J. Hill at. So I think he'd be part of your rotation. And it's funny, Lance. I thought about this the other day. If there's one position where you can really say, besides running back, where the Giants don't need a lot of help, frankly... It's probably defensive tackle. That's fair. But if you look at Dave Gediman's draft history, you know he mm-hmm. doesn't mind mm-hmm. doing stacking at a position, Loading even up, if yeah. he has a lot of guys there already. It's defensive tackle. R- last year, nobody thought they needed a defensive tackle. They drafted two of them.
2: Yeah, well, They already well, had snacks in Dalvin Thomas, and they drafted two defensive tackles. one year in Carolina, the year he drafted one Short, he had back-to-back defensive tackles. So. And then he
0: drafted Butler, too, the, the yeah. following
2: year. Yeah, It would not surprise me if he still looks to add depth At that position, to your point, you've got Dalvin Tomlinson, you've got BJ Hill, and and BJ Hill showed a knack for getting after the quarterback. Let's not dismiss that. Had five and a half sacks last season, so showed some versatility. But could they look to bring in somebody else who could play that position, who could play outside and inside, John? I wouldn't dismiss that. You know, Betcher, if he could find ways to maximize the usage of these players and move them around. They'll take advantage of somebody like that. So, you know, that's always a part of the conversation. But right now, if you just play the paper game, I think the Giants are in need of edge rusher, much more so than an interior guy, a guy that's yeah. going to set the edge in terms of helping to stop the run and be aggressive enough to get after the quarterback because yeah, that's what they lost the most.
0: Lance, don't sleep on corner, man. And I yeah. know Dave
2: Gettleman never drafted
0: cornerbacks that high when he was in Carolina. It just wasn't something that he did very often. But... I could if there, if a cornerback isn't one of their first four picks in this draft, which means either their first, second, or. Um one of their first, two first-round
2: picks, their second-round pick, or their third-round pick, if none of those are a cornerback, I'd be pretty darn surprised. Well, I would be surprised. I think a lot, though, depends on their mindset about Sam Beal. You know, he's the mystery guy here, Joe. Yeah, you still need a third no, guy, No, no, you do, but what I'm saying is <laughs> their upside sure. regarding Sam mm-hmm. Beal, his health, well, considering he was a redshirt I mean, year last year. They used the third-round pick on him. they got to like him. Yeah, well, can he get on the field this spring? Can he make enough of an impact even before the draft? that that at least gives them some sense of security. That, to me, is a big question. Well,
0: i got to imagine he should be healthy at this point. But we'll see. The players get back, by the way, on April 15th. We'll have coverage of that on Giants.com. Now let's get to our final guest of the show. He covers the Kentucky Wildcats. I know you were probably enjoying them in the NCAA tournament, but we're talking football with Tom Leach. He does play-by-play for Kentucky football. Tom, how's it going? you got John Schmuck and Lance Meadow here in New York. What's up?
5: Guys, uh, good to be with you. I wish I was talking to you from Minneapolis, but
0: such is life. <laughs> such is life indeed. But a lot of good things going on with the Kentucky football program, Tom. And, you know, a few years ago, we're not talking about any Kentucky pro- you know prospects coming out in the draft, but you guys got a handful this year and a likely top five pick in Josh Allen. We know what a great player he is. It- is there anything a team should be concerned about with Josh Allen coming out, or is he one of these guys where there are no you know black marks and you just go all in and you're not worried about what you're getting?
5: Nothing that I can think of. He's been um, you know, hasn't given him a, a minute of trouble uh, here. Uh, came in uh, with one other offer from Monmouth. Wow, it was his only other offer coming out of college, and Kentucky hmm. had a guy they lost late, and so they had. Josh kind of on the back burner and they brought him down and offered him and he uh, immediately took the offer and he played he, because of where Kentucky's program was at the time he had to play as a freshman um, when he wasn't ready. But as it turned out after this past season, you know, if he had had one more year left, he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been in a position to use it at Kentucky. So he had a tremendous development, you know, a uh, great work ethic, uh, great kid should be you know, good in the community, all of those things. So, uh, he's he's a uh, a dream and you know really uh, blossomed under uh, Brad White who was with the Colts and then came to Kentucky as an outside linebackers coach last season and really uh, I think polished up a lot of his uh, skills so that uh, the previous year he had had a nice year but the production dropped off in the second half of the year when teams started to game plan for him and this year um, he was consistent from start to finish.
2: Well, Tom, when you look at his sack numbers, clearly it jumps off the page. So that production, I don't think anybody has anything to question about. But considering you've seen his development, you've seen game in and game out, what about his ability to stop the run, his motor, some of those other things that don't necessarily appear in the box score from a statistical standpoint? How would you assess his play there?
5: You know, I'm not probably qualified enough to get too deep into uh, that particular issue because his primary role was more of you know just as an edge rusher against kentucky certainly very strong and they moved him around to a lot of different places to take advantage they never i will say they never had to you know they they had a a good defense last year they never had to take him off the field for any run issues um never had to use anybody else he um the amazing thing about josh i know you asked about run uh, support and you know he's Two sixty and uh, and certainly very strong, so I, I would think he would be fine there. But there was a game I know down at Texas A and M. Their leading receiver was their tight end guy that um, had a good tight end speed and yeah, could get Kay down the field deep. Yeah. And Josh was covering him one on one out in space. And then there was another game where um, they were playing Vanderbilt, which had the, at that time the leading receiver in the conference, and he was running a crossing route, and ball gets deflected, and I, uh, and, and it turns out it was Josh that deflected it. So um, I, I think he is a um, a guy with a lot of uh, different skills.
0: How did he make that jump from his junior to senior year when his you know, production just exploded. Was it a lot of weight room work? Was it, you know, just him maturing? Was there something that kind of clicked for him that turned him from a good player, certainly, into maybe the best defensive player in the SEC?
5: You know, I think it was a, probably a combination of two things. Certainly the just a continued weight room work, but I don't think there was anything dramatic uh, you know any kind of dramatic epiphany there he had always been you know good in the weight room he just steadily got better I think the addition of Coach White uh, helped him uh, as far as his technique and getting uh, better at that and then um, he had uh, became a dad uh, shortly after the previous season and it was right about the time when he would be declaring and I think uh, he came back to Kentucky. He could have gone the previous year; would have been probably a late round draft pick. But he came back because uh, I think primarily he wanted to be there with his his son the first year, mm. and it turned out to be a you know a tremendous payday for him. And I think through that gained even more maturity and maybe a little more focus and in terms of you know, really maximizing his ability in his final year at Kentucky. So he was just, I think, laser focused on, uh, you know, all all the the instruction that Coach White, Coach Stoops gave him. He was just a, a sponge in taking it in to try to get better.
2: Well, speaking of players that maybe developed a little bit later on, we moved to the cornerback position, and Lonnie Johnson is somebody who transferred from community college, Tom. And, you know, you look at his numbers, the one thing that's not necessarily there is the opportunistic interceptions and so forth, which to me doesn't necessarily always tell the whole story, but as somebody who has closely watched his development, are the interceptions not high with respect to him because he wasn't targeted as much, or just the fact that, He had opportunities and didn't come through with them.
5: You know, I didn't see him miss a lot of opportunities. I can think of really only one where he uh, uh, had a chance at an interception and and just actually jumped a little too soon and and missed it. But uh, I can't remember opportunities that were missed, so I would assume that's probably – maybe a tribute to how well he, he covered his guy that he didn't have as many uh, opportunities. It, you know, it, it's something, you know, I think if you're a you know, a, a DB coach or something, you can uh, look at uh, the tape and, and know how to answer your question probably a lot better than I can. I'm like, you know, the average fan. I would look at, you know, numbers, and I think, you know, he didn't get his first interception until the bowl game. And I think yeah. that's a you know certainly a valid question. I'm probably not qualified enough to give you the best answer on that. But I know the coaches, Mark Stoops coached, DBs a lot through his time and he was uh, always very high on Lonnie from the beginning and Lonnie had to come in and beat out a guy who uh, had been a starter as a freshman so I think that speaks well for you know what his work ethic was too
0: he's six 213 pounds uh that tells me that he's a guy you're going to want to at the line of scrimmage being physical and battering people around and impress man is that how Kentucky used him a, a lot or were they using him back in yeah. zone?
5: No, I think they used him a lot that way. They they were you know aggressive uh, with their corners, um, and in part because I think you know they had a guy that could uh, get home on the on the pass rush, so sure. they could afford to be uh, a little more aggressive. Um, so yeah, I think um, they they probably played a, a good bit of man and uh, him, Derek Beatty on the other side. Uh, similar, uh, I think Chris Westry's the guy who had the job as a freshman that Lonnie eventually beat out, but he was uh, tremendous at the recent pro day that they had with here in Kentucky with uh, his 40 time and his vertical. so I think he'll get a look probably as a free agent if not a, a very late draft pick uh, just off that that pro day that he had. So Stoops courted those tall, long uh, corners. And uh, it uh, really finally paid off for him this past season.
2: Talking with Tom Leach, the radio play by play man for Kentucky football. And they've got two safeties that are draft eligible. I want to start with Mike Edwards, Tom. And, you know, you were talking about how they utilized Lonnie Johnson. It seemed from what I've seen and from what I've read, Mike Edwards was the type of guy that they brought down. He played in the slot, and they also moved him deep as a safety. From what you've seen, where is his strength as a player at the next level?
5: You know I would think uh maybe as a a guy who's a you know a, a covering the third receiver out of the slot third or fourth receiver um he uh, was a, an outstanding safety for Kentucky, but because he had good cover skills when they wanted to go nickel or dime, uh, they would put somebody else into his his safety slot and slide him down into uh, the nickel position, covering the guy out of the slot. So he was really versatile for Kentucky, uh, good in run support, uh, was a you know, guy that you know made plays, uh, had some picks, uh, forced some fumbles, good tackler so it was around the ball a lot. Uh, he was um, a big key to the improvement of their defense in the last couple of years.
0: Fellow safety Darius. And, I'm sorry, go ahead, Tom. I didn't mean to drop you. Go ahead.
5: I was, I was going to move on to Darius. Yeah, yeah go that, ahead. That he was... Uh, uh, is uh, kind of safety mate that they came came through the program together played a lot together Darius had one year that he missed with a knee injury uh but I think he he came back I think his production probably this past year might have even uh exceeded the expectations of the coaches I think he was really uh developed into a solid guy uh for them in the back end didn't seem to as far as I can tell didn't seem to to make any uh, mistakes they didn't get uh you know give up a lot of uh big 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 plays back there that they had in the past so I think he was just really solid uh, with as far as his assignments.
0: And for a guy that ruptured his patella tendon, yeah. you mentioned that knee injury. Then mm-hmm. he runs a 4-3-9 at the combine. I think it speaks to how he was able to recover from an injury that, that, that quite frankly, ruins a lot of NFL careers. That was the injury that Victor Cruz suffered. He was never the same.
5: Yeah, and they have a uh, really good strength and uh, conditioning program here, and these guys have really bought into it. And um, uh, so they've they've really – it's been a group that's really worked hard. And, you know, they – they came in at a time when Kentucky football was um, a long way from where it is now, and they were the guys that, that bought into it, but it's one thing to buy into the vision, then you got to put in the work to uh, make the vision become a reality, and, and all of these guys um, did that.
2: Want to switch to the offensive side of the ball, and uh, Benny Snell is there top running back who was a monster when it came to collecting touchdowns, as I'm sure you can attest to, Tom. And yards, for that matter. (laughs) Yes, a little bit of everything. Actually, I believe he's the all-time leading rusher already uh, for Mm -hmm. Kentucky, if I'm correct. But there's maybe some questions about his elusiveness and his ability to maybe show that versatility outside of being that big bruiser back. How valid of a claim is that based on what you've seen out of his play?
5: I can understand the questions. Uh, they didn't throw it to him a lot. Uh, he doesn't have the great uh, top end speed, but I, I think Benny's the kind of guy that is going to be better, uh, going to look a lot better to you when you have him in camp than you do in trying to evaluate him off uh, a stopwatch or, uh, you know, some other measurables at a, at a combine uh, or even on tape. He's a, a tremendous uh, worker. Um, I think he would be a great, you know, starting out and, you know, would be uh, great on special teams, started out his career here on special teams, um, you know, uh, was not, uh, you know, a, a, a diva in, in any way, in terms of the way he approached the job. Um, I think his dad, uh, played professional football. Yep. And so, uh, got his, uh, got him with the right mindset early. So just a relentless, uh, worker, uh, great teammate, um, and I, I think, you know, I'm, I'm obviously hopeful, uh, like Benny a lot, that it's gonna, he's going to have a great career as a, as a running back. I understand some of the questions that you raised. We'll just have to see how that turns out. But I, it's hard for me to imagine. He's just one of those guys that you think of as a football player. I think Randall yeah, Cobb yeah. is the guy who came through here. that had uh, questions, different maybe types of questions. But those of us who watched him thought, that's just a football player. He's a guy you're going to want on your team. And turned out that's worked out really well for the the Packers and I think now will for the Cowboys. And I I think Benny's that same kind of guy that uh, you're going to be glad you have him on your team.
0: Final question for Tom Leach, just play-by-play for Kentucky football. How about the remaining guys? you got Bunchy Stallings. You mentioned Derek Beatty already, C.J. Conrad, the tight end, Jordan Jones, the linebacker. Any of those guys or maybe some are even missing, Tom, that you think people should be keeping their eyes on heading into the draft at the end of the month?
5: Yeah, I think they've all got the shot to get jobs in, in the NFL. Uh, C.J. was a guy that fans here were always frustrated that he didn't get the ball more, uh, but um, he was a great blocker, and they were – uh so uh run successful in the run game and run heavy that they used him a lot as as a blocker and so they didn't uh, throw to him as much maybe as his fans would have liked but he was a guy who made some big catches uh tough catches um in in tight windows so i i uh, think he's got a a great shot to because he was, you know, embraced the physical part of it as well as the pass catching. Uh, Bunchy, you know, I'm I'm not sophisticated enough in my knowledge to critique his work as, a, as an offensive lineman. I just know he um, really worked at it hard and um, was a guy who um, they didn't have any, you know, issues with his his work ethic, his leadership, any of those kinds of things. And then uh, who was the other one you mentioned? Jordan Jones. Um, and Jordan, yeah, Jordan uh, is a guy that had tremendous has tremendous speed. Um, he you know he he had a couple of you know issues where he got suspended there at the end of the year. I don't think it was anything uh, major, uh, but he is a guy that uh, was just uh, his teammates loved him. I will say that uh, even through the the setbacks, and he uh, is a little on the small side, I would think to play uh, linebacker, but I, I could see him maybe getting, I could see him being great in special teams. And if he could find, uh, you know, an additional role as, you know, maybe a, a, you know, an extra defensive back in some way, maybe as a linebacker, if you could bulk him up a little bit, but uh, I would think he could be tremendous in special teams.
0: Tom, good stuff. We appreciate the time today and best of luck heading into next year. Thanks a lot, Tom.
5: Happy to do it guys.
0: Thank you. Tom Leach does play by play for Kentucky football and now that'll make one of our more irritating Twitter followers, our buddy Mike Farmer, and his brother Nick, happy, who've been bugging me about Kentucky Prospects for the past four months. So get off my back, guys. Thank you. <laughs> well, we
2: just heard. Absolutely. They were all laid out for you. Yes.
0: By the way, one tweet I want to read from Vic and This is very true, and we'll give this warning to you. Because we are officially three weeks, by the way, from the NFL draft. It is three weeks from today. So Can't come soon enough. It cannot. Well, not for you. For the next 21 days, we have now entered the official Pinocchio period. Believe no general manager or coach and have a grain of salt with the analysts of the world. Somebody should just tell the truth, and that
2: would really throw everybody else off. Well, it's fair. Yeah. Everybody plays games with each other. I think that's been well documented. But I will say this. I don't think it's the obligation of any front office executive, not just the Giants. I'm talking about the entire league, to tell any fan, any member of the media, anybody who consumes football exactly what their game plan is. And anybody who thinks that, I don't think has been watching the league long enough to understand that. Thank you, Mr. Meadow. You got it. All right. Tomorrow, it'll be Meadow and Detino back with
0: you on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Then we're back next week. With more shows as you break down the NFL draft, what what teams do you guys have tomorrow? Do you uh, remember Clemson is one of them, and I think Wisconsin's number two. Actually, you okay. added Wisconsin, so be there Clemson and Wisconsin tomorrow. I think if Detino, all the teams that have offensive and defensive uh, lineman, otherwise his trenches guys. Otherwise, he would get mad at me. Yeah. So enjoy that tomorrow for Lance Meadow. I'm John Schmelk We'll catch you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com tomorrow noon. And a reminder, by the way, I almost forgot to plug the other podcast, Matt. Uh, or oh, we have the second episode of the Giants Huddle Podcast. Uh, make sure you check it out on Giants.com. Also on all your favorite podcast platforms, whether it's TuneIn, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, we're on pretty much everything. Make sure you check it out. Episode one, I had a chance to talk to Peter Schrager. Episode two just launched this morning, and that is uh, Paul DeTino with Amani Tumor for about a half hour. Very very entertaining. Uh, we managed to chain Amani down so he didn't run away <laughs> from Paul after about the first five to ten minutes of the interview. But we got there, and it was it was really, really interesting, guys. I've listened to it two or three times going through it. It was a lot of fun, a lot of good stories in there, and good stuff from Imani. So make sure you check that out. Again, it's The Giants Huddle on Giants.com and on your favorite podcast platforms. Of course, you can also download Big Bull Kickoff Live on your favorite podcast platforms as well. For Lance Meadow, I'm John Schmelk. We'll see you next time, everybody. Have a good one. Have a good one.